Gaming NBS episode 329 being recorded Monday, February 15th, 2021. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back to all our listeners. Glad to have you all here. And if and if you're new, goddamn, glad you're here. Awesome to have you. Sean, how the heck are you, man, since I talked to you last? Doing well? I'm doing fantastic, Brett. How are you? you? I'll, I'll give you the Wisconsin. Are you, you keeping warm, huh? Keeping warm? Keeping warm. Keeping good, warm. Good. Staying warm. That's good. That's Staying good. warm. Yeah. Staying warm. That's good. Good, good. Yeah. My uh, my dad came over on Saturday to help me do some electrical work. My father used to be an electrician. Oh, was he really? I yeah, he was an electrician, so I get free electrical work. Nice. In exchange, he gets free computer assistance. So, ah, um, my I think I told you my mom has uh, dementia. So, hmm. and that that's Alzheimer's stuff. So, one of the things that happens is my dad's like, I, I'll come over to your house and do a lot of work and hang out with you. You just have to keep track of your mother. That's <laughs> so my dad needs some break <laughs> periodically, which is fine. My mom's she's a sweetie, so. Um, Susan, my daughter, Lana, hung out with mom and AJ and I, and AJ learned how to pull wire and, uh, connect up light switches and stuff. And I reminded him, I said, this is very important. He said, why? I said, because after this bathroom in the basement comes the game room. He said, Ooh, said, see, it's, it's very important because the faster you learn how to do this, the faster you and I can get the game room wired up. So he's happy. I came close to being an electrician. I mean... I could have that could have been the whole route I went, but I, it's, I didn't. It's not a bad gig, man. It's not. I got a buddy of mine who's a year older than me that's running the show for a shop, and you know, I know he he does fairly well for himself, actually. As I'd remind AJ, I said, "Remember that internet thing you love so much? There's none of that without electricity. <laughs> you kind of need that to get on that thing that you love." So. Well, a lot of those guys are pulling Cat Five and Cat Six and stuff. Totally too. are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So. Anyway, yeah. dude, what did you game? Any gaming? Any gaming? Do anything? Rolling dice? I gamed in Hobbs's low fantasy gaming and uh, got we got whooped up on, but we survived, you know. As you do. Tough As gamers. You do. Yeah. It was, you know, we could have we could have split, but I decided not to. I'm like, hey man, I've taken like zero hits. I'm going in there and taking that thing. And then I didn't take that thing. So. <laughs> I then it was time that. to go. I, yeah. I just bragged a lot and then left. <laughs> yeah. That's then uh, this Thursday, session one of Forbidden Lands will be kicking off. Cool. Uh, I think it's going to be probably a two-hour session. Nothing too too long. It'll be the first one getting our feet on the ground. And then next Thursday, I will be doing a Star Wars game. Nice. Um, for sure. And then... So that's what I have for gaming, but I have an announcement, but I will wait to, okay. to mention it. Unless we want to mention it now. It has to do with gaming. We'll, we'll do it later. We'll do it at the tail end. Okay. Of course. I got, uh, so I got to run my Greyhawk game again. First time post-surgery doing that with the crew. It was a blast. It was um, no combat. It was all role-playing, figuring stuff out, finding information. They did some shopping. They found uh, found a wizard who was connected to Morden Kanan, who they're kind of connected to, so they're able to... Do some secret hand signals, secret handshake type of thing, and get a deal. Swap some stuff, pull some data, and they made up a made up a really good contact with a with a group of dwarves. They had uh, I'd hinted that this group was there, relation to this the Stonefist clan that they'd met before, and 
the NPC wizard dropped that they might need a guide going into the mountains that they're heading into in uh, just outside of, of the grand city of, uh, excuse me, uh, Gorna. Capital of the uh, Duchy of Jeff. Anyhow, so they're heading up, in the, up into the uh, up the Crystal Mist Mountains and like, hey, you guys might need a guide, says the NPC. And immediately Lenny's like, hey, there's another clan of dwarves here. We should go find them. And this, it was perfect. I like dropped a little clue that sucked it right up and went immediately where they needed to. And they're absolutely ready. They got a high level NPC ready to come with them. Who's got a life debt to repay the clan. It's awesome. It worked out beautifully. Very good. Very good. I have learned because we're doing it fairly old school, as I said before, where I'm uh, awarding experience points every session because the uh, advancement tracks are different. So you level up, you level up. Rogues level up faster than so-and-so than such-and-such. Um, Lenny lost his experience point tracker, so he had to do a quick look. You have 6,652 or whatever it was. And uh, I have learned, I don't, I, I, as you know, I don't give two shits about balance per se, but I want the characters to, I want the players especially to feel successful at a certain point. And they're at that critical juncture where they're fourth level. And in first edition, the fourth to five is a big, ooh, to get the hazard class. It's a big step there. Lenny's dragon behind his fighter is he's a little bit because he missed a session. So they were kind of bemoaning the fact that they found some really good swag. They got some good magic items, but they don't. <laughs> a couple of them had some really bad die rolls. They just can't. We get on there and Nick can't roll over a 12, you know, so he can't hit shit. But they're really look, they're looking at the hit charts and they're like, oh man, one more level. And then it, it adjusts for me and I get better hit ratios and all that stuff. So. I think I may have been a little stingy on the XP to start with, so I might have to dish out a little bit more just to help them keep, feel like they're making progress. But overall, I mean, they loved, they had a really good time. I was kind of worried because it, I figured it was going to be pretty roleplay heavy, depending on what they did. But they totally dug right in. They didn't mind that they weren't killing orcs or trolls or anything like that. They were they were totally fine just talking. It was a lot of fun. And um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I've got an announcement, but I'll let you talk first. What's your gaming announcement? we got a gaming one. So I was thinking for the community, so this is out for the community and everything, is how do we get BSers to play with more BSers and get to play more different games? Well, you and I have talked about that a little bit here and a lot off the mics because we're like, look, we have a really kick-ass community of really great gamers, and neither you nor I want them tied to only Brett or Sean run gaming and BS games online right but that there's a whole bunch of good gamer folks out there talk amongst yourselves type of thing right how do we get them to do that that's cool so what do you got you got a, you got a plan you got a plan i got a plan marco froilich digital hobbit was nice enough to put up a nice looking spreadsheet and so this is kind of the deal what i was thinking was we all have a list of five, like, you know, it's a Discord or forum topic. List your five five games that you'd like to play that you haven't played before or five games you would just like to play, but don't get a chance to do it often. So we got that down. So then we just need some game masters that are like, hey, I'm going to run a game. Uh, who's interested? Well, I know that these five, six people put down this game. I want to run that or I'm, I've run it before. I know that game. And it's kind of a pay it forward kind of thing is what I was thinking. So what what somebody would do is put put up on this spreadsheet or and and say, Hey, I'm open to running like these this one game, this three these three games. 
And uh, when I would be available are these dates or, you know, Thursdays work best for me from 7 to 10 central time. And you're operating off a list of games that people said they want to play. Yeah. Well, they could say, I mean, if we had a Savage Worlds guru and that's what they run all the time, but that Savage Worlds guru wants to play other games. So they run Savage Worlds, but play in other other games that other people run. So the person lists like, I'm a Savage Worlds guy. So he or she puts Savage Worlds down, whatever they're going to run this time, this day, and that's it. And then the people that want to play in that game or the person that's like, I really want to play Savage Worlds, that. And so they help in rallying up the three to four minimum players to play for that Game Master to run. And then since that Game Master ran kind of for you, I guess, then it would be nice to pay it forward that you would also run a game. It doesn't have to be for the same person, but it would be for the greater community at large and say, well, I played this. Uh, I'm a I'm a cipher person, so I'm going to run cipher system. This is the uh, uh, game blah, blah, equivalent blah. of the uh, um, uh, at least here in the Midwest. They give a penny, take a penny jar at the sure uh, at the. So it's 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 that's the mantra behind it. I I, I was thinking, well, can we make like uh, can we make an RPG club? <laughs> I don't know, but it's something to that effect where it's a little bit more. I'm trying to. Well, somebody's got to push it. Like somebody's got to come up with something that's going to make people go, "Yeah, that kind of makes a sense." Or I would certainly want to do that. I think there's going to be time issues, whatever. But if you got one person to run one game a month, that's a lot of games. Yeah, and it's, in our community, I mean, and, and believe it or not, it's actually harder than it sounds to say. You guys should organize some gaming. Yeah. Okay. Who's open right. on Thursday? Mm-hmm. Chirp, 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 chirp. Uh, well, so yeah, it, it's it's this is tough. This is not easy to yeah. do. So the the thing is that I would want or I'd like to see is if somebody says, "Hey, I want to I'm going to run this game," and they have just they either just set a date or they say these days coming up would be when I would be available to run this game. Go players, and then they say, "Okay, cool," and they can just go down the list and say, "Oh, this guy." Or a woman is looking to play or run this game. I'm gonna, hey, who who all wants to play in Gabe's 2D20 Codan game? He's running it two weeks from now. I'd like to get a party, and then they sign that up. And in that spreadsheet, the game master can say, for more information on how I run or what tools I use or what the deal is, kind of the, go to the forum, go to the Discord, go to my own home website. I don't care where they go, and then they sign up, and then you know they. Mirko's got a place where you can list like the tools you use and you know all this stuff. So I will have a link in these show notes uh, to our forums, to our pinned Discord message, and to Mirko's spreadsheet so that people can kind of plan maybe one game, like one game a month. It could be a two-hour session. It doesn't have to be overly elaborate, but it's there's two purposes behind it. One. You get to play with other BSers. You might know their names that we throw around on the show, and you're like, hey, I know that Kojo guy, and I know Kojo's offered to do that. Um, and they, they say, I want to play with him. That'd be awesome. Or and, and especially if you're wanting to try different games, meet different people so that when it comes time, when your, your home group is kind of like they fizzle out, you take a break from gaming, they're not willing to try other games, you've got 
a source online of, of I, I don't know if I would say trusted people. I'd like to say that they're trusted. But people that you, that's that's the big thing. So it's just really starting out. I think Mirko's got DCC up there for a couple games he would run. I think maybe Savage Worlds games, a uh, game he would run. I think um, Herman out of Puerto Rico is going to run Cortex. He hasn't put it in the spreadsheet. He just kind of threw that out on the forums. But I know a couple guys like Saul's Zuido and, and uh, somebody else, Harrigan, maybe that are looking to, to play in his Cortex game high level. I'll put something in there and uh, yeah, we'll get that rolling. Nice. My life is starting to straighten out a little bit after moves and surgery and seemingly decent recovery so far. Yeah, I like this. That's good stuff. Marco, man, thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's, you stepped up, man. Thank you very much for helping to do that. That's hard work. That's not and Marco's easy. like, that's a good idea. And he, he took a spreadsheet and put it up there. He just and banged it out. You don't, so I should also say, just because you play or you get a party together to play in somebody's game, you, you don't have to run a game. You, it's not like, hey, we're going to th- game in police. They're not going to come around you up and throw you in gaming jail. If the intention is to reciprocate in some in some degree or another, if you can, that would be great. But as long as people are playing, that's, that's all that matters. So there you go. Well, in other... Kind of passing around news. Craig Shipman's got me on Wednesday. Third Floor Wars is Tabletop Podcast, Tabletop Talk Podcast. I'll be there talking to Craig. Craig was really cool. He tried to get me on earlier, and I'm like, okay, I should be able to do this. And my surgery got messed up, and I came back. I'm like, dude, I am so out of it. I can't do anything. He's been great. Um, uh, trying to keep, <laughs> trying to pin me down for a time, and uh, very, very. Very nice guy. So I'm looking forward to it. it. Should be a good conversation. He wants to talk about RPGs, kind of like your history in it type of thing. Talk Avalon, which I always like talking about. So should be a good time. And once we get the, uh, once I know when it'll land and I get a link and all that stuff, I'll share it out so people can see it. Yeah, he's going to run Blades in the, me, Brett and I through Blades in the Dark. Yeah. We could be Fafford and the Grey Mauser. We absolutely could. We absolutely uh, could. Who would you be, Brett? I don't know. Grey Mauser's always tickled my fancy. <laughs> For those that don't know, Brett's Twitter handle is like Fofford Eat One or some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I've had Fofford O One has like been my online name forever. So yeah, yeah, very cool. Sweet man, that'll be awesome. You'll have to let us know when it drops. Yeah, you know. once I get that, I want to cross populate. You know, I'll do the, I'll do the deal where like, hey, where can you find Brett? I'll drop gaming and BS and all that stuff. But I also want to make sure that when I get the links from uh, Mr. Craig Shipman's podcast, that I spread that around as well. So. Cool. So that's coming up. That'll be fun. I got that locked in for Wednesday. Let's see. I think we're any more announcements or shall we move on? Shall we? Yeah, I'm good. If you All are. right. Let's random encounter it up. Let's All go. All right. Random encounter. Segment of the show, we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. First one, uh, we have DM Kojo calling in about, I think, the Goodman Games revamped AD&D adventures. Mm. Yeah, we did kibitz about that a bit. So let's see what he says. All right. Hey, guys. It's Kojo. Just wanted to call in a couple things. First of all, Brett, glad your surgery went well and you're feeling better. That's great news. Um, and then I wanted to call in uh, the plot coupon episode. You actually, in your die roll, talked about the Temple of Elemental Evil um, reprint, or uh, not reprint, but uh, the original adventure reincarnated by Goodman Games. And they've done a lot of these now. I think five of them I've got. And uh, I love them. And I'll tell you what, I just wanted to call and make a plug because I think there's 
um, multiple reasons why this product might appeal to people. Uh, all of these are archive quality scans, which are fantastic and way better than what you can get print on demand from drive through. Uh, Goodman really does a good job cleaning those up and, uh, making archive quality hardcover book with the original adventure in it. And I believe that the Temple of Elemental Evil will have the original Village of Hamlet and then the original Temple of Elemental Evil both, along with interviews with the creators and people involved with the project. That's always kind of interesting from a, you know, again, a archivist, uh, point of view. Then, as you mentioned, there's the 5e conversion. I'll tell you what, I don't play 5e, uh, but I buy all these books not because uh, I want to use them with 5e, although I could in the future for sure, but the stuff that they fill out um, in addition to the original published content when they do the 5e conversion, they really build and expand on the adventures and turn these things into almost mini campaign settings. I know, for example, that the Temple of Elemental Evil is going to include um, in the 5e conversion part, uh, more fleshed out elemental nodes and uh, some of the parts of elemental evil that originally kind of were left uh, very open-ended and not very detailed. And I like using these original adventures reincarnated. I take the 5e stuff and I backwards convert it to what I'm playing, which is usually an old school version, and use it to run the adventure old school, but with the newer uh, content added in there. So just uh, some tips about these old uh, old adventure reincarnated line. Uh, it's really fantastic stuff. I've been very happy with everyone I've gotten. Great production quality and very useful even if I don't play 5e. So just wanted to make a plug for it. It's awesome. All right, man. Talk to you later. Bye. You know, Kojo, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but Especially with Temple of Elemental Evil, there's there's definitely room for improvement, shall we say, in my opinion anyway, and I think the opinion of a number of other people. And if the 5e component of it adds some more lore, as we would say, right, it fleshes out a bit more, gives you some more info, some more uh, stuff to work with, that's pretty cool. And even if you make it backwards compatible, which I think is awesome, Coach, that you do that because I've done that before too. That's awesome. Um, but I think that... If that's something you're interested in, that could be very that could be a damn good reason to buy that book right there. I don't know if that captures it for me offhand. I was thinking about it since we have talked about it last, Sean, and Temple of Elemental Evil has always had kind of a near and dear place to my heart. And I think because um, it was the first really big campaign game I got in on, my buddy Eric Schaefer was became my high school dungeon master. The main guy I learned a lot from Eric over the years. I still do some of the tricks and tips that he used back in the day. Um, he ran that, and I got in on the game because he had an opening. You know, I kind of wormed my way in to game with him at that time, and he was running that adventure. That was a lot of fun. And a little I, it, special place in Brett's heart, and I it see. Does. Little, yeah. little, little, uh, little nooks and crannies of, of goodness there. So, I gotta admit, the nostalgia is high on that one. But I have the original, so I'm like, uh, do I need it? Do I not? Uh, well, we'll see what happens. But sounds like, it's gonna, it sounds like it's gonna be split in two books. Two books. Mirko says, yeah. Interesting. Ah. That could be cool. The, one of the things that I do not care a lot for, and this is just me, is the interviews with people and their perceptions. And, well, we did, because I, I kind of don't care. It's interesting in itself, but I'd rather have that in a separate book or somewhere else away from the actual adventure piece. That's just me. Yeah, it's like having five forwards. 
Yeah, and that's okay, but just doesn't. I remember it. when I was designing this and I had this in my <laughs> And there is some interesting components to that, and I get it, but I'd like that to be like a leaflet or something that went with it, but not baked into the actual thing I want to run the game with. Yeah. That's just me. Anyhow, good stuff, Kojo. Thank you for call- calling in, man. Uh, Sean, why don't you read the next one? Mark Dawson emails us. Let's Damn, we haven't heard from Mark in a long time. That's Mark. awesome. Mark! Hey, BNS, it's Mark, official BS archivist Dawson. Yes, I've remained a listener all these years despite my lack of direct interaction. Since the last time you heard from me five years ago, God, has it been that long? Holy shit. Mark, man, holy cow. I've run, I've won the lottery. Uh, <laughs> and I, I've now owned a private island. I want you to run games for me for a living. Oh, my God. We're, oh, we're done. We're done. We're, we're done with this. <laughs> I've moved halfway across the country, had a complete change in career, and basically rebooted my entire life. Yeah, man. Awesome. I hope. I, I sure Sean joins me. I hope it's working. Yeah, because that's a that's a lot of change right there, man. And uh, good for you to have the guts to do it. That's right. So hope it's working. Through my throughout all the upheaval and change in my life, you guys have remained a constant. As a native Midwesterner now living in the Southwest, listening to you guys BS about games is like a little taste of home. So thank you for continuing this podcast. Well, very kind of you, sir. You're welcome. Our pleasure. Uh, Brett, I know you've had a lot of going on with recent move and surgery, but have you made any progress on creating you, your own RPG system from scratch? Episode 301. I'd love to hear some of your game ideas as they uh, evolve. Please share your process with the BSers. Who knows? We might be able to help out. I have, and I should. Um, I think I could probably make that into an episode. I think I could be a topic. I've been monkeying around a little bit. So, yeah, I like that. Thank you, Mark. I'm going to make a note of that. Sean, nice work on the solo episode 323 when Brett was unavailable. I'm sure it was daunting and took a bit of editing to have one-person conversation, but you pulled it off nicely. Also, how soon are you planning to run Forbidden Lands after your recent conversation with Phil Vecchione? Bonus BS episode 21? Uh, Question mark. Uh, So, yeah, if you listen to this, Mark, you might be a little bit behind, I'm guessing, but this Thursday. The... what is it, the 16th, 17th, 17th, I think it's going to be, the date? I don't remember what the date's going to be. Whatever. <laughs> Coming soon. Uh, on to my main topic, do games need a dice mechanic to resolve social conflict? No. It depends. And we're done. <laughs> oh, oh, damn it, Sean just made a whole topic out of it. Okay, keep going, keep going, keep reading. Uh, RPGs evolved from tabletop war games, but we've come a long way in nearly 50 years of this hobby. I'm really happy the consumers and publishers of these RPGs have diversified and broadened their sense of inclusion over the years, but so many of the wargaming roots remain intact, which can drive me nuts. In D&D 5e, we have skills like deception, intimidation, and persuasion. But what if the PCs want to parlay or negotiate with the enemy and the DM is hell-bent on the encounter resolving with combat? Murder Hobo hack and slash style play was fun when I was 12, but I'm in my 40s now and I want a little more story and character development from my RPGs. But I'm in, whoops, why not role play through the scenario instead of just rolling initiative? You say, well, maybe the GM is adversarial and the role play would be irrelevant. 
Perhaps the players prefer to narrate their characters' actions because they're uncomfortable with improvised dialogue or speaking in the first person. I'm also curious about this topic purely from a game mechanic game design aspect. So have you played a game or are you aware of a system that has a defined mechanic to resolve social encounters with stats or dice? If not, could you see a value in such a system? Good gaming to all, Mark. P.S. It would be interesting if you guys had James Intracasso on as a guest to talk about his new projects with Matt Colville, item from Die Roll, episode 327. So. There's a lot of good stuff in there, man. Mark, uh, Burning Wheel comes to mind with the Duel of Wits. I don't know the mechanic offhand. It has been talked about. It is a social-based role-playing game mechanic. Yeah, we fumble, stumbled, talked about it on the show before, but I I can't remember what episode it is. Mark, you probably remember better than we do. Um, But yeah, there's... Hmm. It's interesting. There's a lot of there... I shouldn't say a lot. I'm sure there are other ones out there. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, it might be worth bringing back up around the just kind of the mechanic approach to social things. John, I think that might be a worthy topic just to just to revisit because it's one of those pieces where you could talk about it three years ago, two years ago, five years ago, and what you've read, heard, changed, or thought of since then to now could change drastically how you how you deal with that stuff. You know, even with the the Greyhawk game I'm doing, first edition AD&D, there's no mechanics for social interactions. Right. So how are we doing it? You know, I think it might be worth it might be worth talking about that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just roll the hit. <laughs> Initiative, you win. Kill him. <laughs> That's all we do. No social interactions. No, no it's allowed to be social at all. As soon as they say hello, they they better draw a sword. No talkie talkie. This is all action. I uh It's going to be a mixed bag. Excuse me, it's going to be a mixed bag. I don't think the I don't think the social interaction where the the uh the evil bad evil NPC just is going to fight is not a bad I don't think it's a bad thing. Because I don't think that there are going to be NPCs that you should be able to negotiate with. Period. I hate it. I I really actually hate it. When there are, well, that's a good argument. Give me a roll, and then it's rolled, and oh, according to the rules, it should slide them around, slide them down the pissed off bladder one level. Well, if, if you look at like D and D five E social encounter mechanics, you can't go far enough so that Doctor Doom won't kill you. It's impossible. You can't slide more than like one notch, and one notch. If he starts off with "fuck you, you're dead." You can't get him to fuck you. You're dead to I love you like my brother. It isn't going to happen, right? And I think some of the <coughs> um, die roll mechanics that people use are within Five E. Zebashu, actually, the uh, animated spellbook guy, has a neat little animation he did on social encounters. And he's like, I think I've been doing it wrong all these years, and he walks and he breaks it down for Five E. But sometimes we take the pass fail of certain mechanics i'll use D, for example and if you pass you get everything you wanted right well i try to convince you know dr doom not to not to blow everybody up and save the fantastic four oh i rolled a 20 oh net 20 doesn't matter natural 20s have no impact he's gotta under he's gotta like empathize with me he's gotta come on 
Come on, I rolled like a 20. I thought I rolled a 35. I got like a 15 diplomacy and I rolled a 20. It's like 35. This guy's got to kind of understand my argument, Sean. <laughs> yeah, he shoots you in the face for it. I've never uh, had I've never had anybody argue it like that before. <laughs> no, never? never. You've never, never heard that before? No, no never. Neither have I. It's, that, that was that was like a whole new experience for me right there. I know, I'm shocked. I know. But yeah, I think... No, my, my bad guy's a bad guy. He doesn't give a shit what you say. He's going to do whatever the hell he wants. I don't. He doesn't, you're not negotiating. Yeah. I think it's worth... This is another topic. We're going to pull it back. So, all right. All right. This is Thanks, going, Mark. This is going to Hopper. Thank you, Mark. Hey, dude, and continue. Um, I hope you're having good luck with the reboot, as you say, Mark. I hope it's going well. Game on, and uh, keep keep going forward, brother. Hey, and just to keep you Midwestern, how's the weather down there? Yeah. A little, hot, a little hot. It's kind of cold. A little hot down there, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, hey. warm, warm weather breeds weakness, just so you know. Stay, stay cool. <laughs> stay cool. <laughs> Staying cool down there? It's not the heat, it's the humidity. There we go. We'll lay that on you, yeah. too. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if it weren't for that wind. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> well, or for the wind to be uh, pretty warm. Gosh, there, hey. Okay, so let's see Joshua 20 comments on slow burn versus hot start. Sean and Brett, hope you guys haven't recorded yet. Sorry, Josh, we did. Um, because I want to make you sh- uh, make sure you touch on what Return from the Lazy Dungeon Master says about setting an opening scene. Creating a strong start outline in Chapter 4 consists of four bullet points suggested to be used for both campaign and session starters. So, Josh... Little joke, obviously we missed this before we recorded, but this is still cool. Thank you very much for putting this out there in the forums. So, what's happening? Framing the scene. What's the point? Hook to draw players in. Where's the action? When in doubt, start with combat. Think about it this way. How many of your favorite movies or books start with a group of characters in the stereotypical inn drinking beer? Now, how many books and movies start with a murder or high-octane car chase? Some fiction starts slow in order to build the mundane before dropping the main character into the fantastic. But in my opinion, players have enough of the mundane in their daily lives. Which of these opening scenes would pull you in more as a player? A group of adventurers is in a bar when they are told of disappearances happening in town. Or a group of adventurers is attending an annual summer festival and suddenly a woman bursts through the crowd shrieking, they took my husband. Both options tell essentially the same story, but one of them encourages the characters to spring into action and solve an problem. I don't think I've ever used a slow burn to open a campaign since it's the first choice I'm going to get to sell first chance, excuse me, since this is the first chance I'm going to get to sell them on the story. If they're already bored at the outset, why are they going to show up to the next session? For a combat heavy system, you may not necessarily need to open up with combat, but those players better damn well be rolling those dice after ten minutes or else are going to be scrolling through their phones looking for something more interesting. Even for a game where combat is rare and dangerous, immediately throwing an intriguing mystery at them will make them instantly engaged. Maybe I have the wrong idea of what slow start entails, but I'm curious to hear your arguments for it. So obviously, Josh, you can listen to the episode. I like the points you made there. When we say uh, mystery, it actually reminds me of some Lovecraft stuff. There are a couple. Uh, Pickman's model, uh, the thing in the doorstep. I think the thing in the doorstep story um, the gentleman says something along the lines of, and that's why I shot my friend. And he tells you the story of how he ended up shooting this person. Pickman's model is somebody regaling you, the reader, presumably, like you're there, and he's talking to you about Edward Darby Pickman, how he had to, I had to drop him. Oh my God, it was crazy, blah, blah, blah. He's starting in like this chaotic fugue about a thing that happened, and he's slowly getting you back to the beginning. So it's almost like a reverse. You're at the end and he's telling you the beginning through this process. So even some of those adventures are like right in the middle of it. 
you know, you're right there. Something's happening, you know, so that's kind of cool. So, yeah, I think it, it works that faster. If the action in a Cthulhu game is the mystery, throw the fucking mystery right now. Boom. Drop it on them. Cultists attack. Weird, weird happening. Someone dies from a mysterious plague. Whatever it is you got to do. Hell, man, Star Wars. Episode, what was the very first Star Wars? A New Hope was episode four. Is that yep. what it was? Okay. Yep. So, spoilers. Um, like, oh, neat. Spaceship. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, my God. Badness. Explosions. Some big guy in a black suit comes in. Where's the ambassador? <laughs> and chokes a man to death. Holy fuck. What just happened? You don't know who Princess Leia is. She's just, she's just running around, cramming crap in droids, and then getting stunned. What the hell? You have no idea what the fuck is going on in that movie. At all. For at least minutes. Many minutes. And in movie time, that's a long time. Right? You watch it, and you're like, ah, oh, yes, I know what that is. But if you can harken back to the first time you saw it, if no one ever told you anything, it's like right in the middle of the action. So, anyway, cool stuff. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you bringing it up, Josh. Over to you, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Ray Otis on the forums about customizing pre-published scenarios. I always cut out repetitive encounters. There are some modules that are filled with endless rooms that are empty and are filled with the same kinds of fights. Sometimes these come from random encounter tables that are either too short or have entries that all feel the same. Figure two to three encounters per session. Decided about how many sessions your players will enjoy in this space. Then find the best stuff and cut the rest. In other words, let's say you are in Ghosts of Saltmarsh and are infiltrating the Sahuijim base. You want to spend two sessions max on it. That means you have about six encounters. Give yourself eight or nine, knowing they will bypass some. Cut everything but those nine. Literally bypass rooms. Truncate hallways. Or as players move through, just tell them, fast forward the boring bits with stuff like, you pass three empty rooms. This makes every adventure better. That is interesting, Ray. I like that thought. Because there are a number, especially of old school adventures, and even some new stuff I've read. Then like, huh. I bet you if I went snip, snip, snip with the Occam's editing tool, chunk, 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 I could make this dungeon five rooms instead of 52. He actually says that in a follow-up post. He'll take the map, and then he'll chop out all the rooms, literally out of the map, and then merge them. That's actually wicked kind of cool. I think this should also work really well if you want to take an adventure that normally would be really long and a huge thing or whatever and crush it down and take it to a con. Or crush it down just for any kind of time space. I think about um, Wraither running the, uh, oh shit, Lost. Isle of Dread, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Isle of Dread. It was the Lost City one, the one with their, it's basically uh, with Zargon, the big ugly monster. And it's a, under, it's a pyramid thing. You go in, fuck, I have the module too. Anyway, it's a big module for basic D&D, but he crushes it. And I remember him telling me, we we're having beer at, at Gamehole Con, back when we could actually have a Gamehole Con in person. Saying, hey, yeah, I went through and basically truncated, cut out some of the repetition, and just went to the big stuff, you know, the stuff that's really interesting. Because Ray's right. I mean, there are certain adventures, um, you know, one more room for five goblins and one more room for three goblins, another two to three goblins. You know, fuck, how many times, you know, you can move that along. That's, that's a very good idea. I like that, Ray. Was it the Lost City? Yes, right. Lost City. Thank you. Good grief. Saul's Wheel, Eric, comments on customizing pre-published scenarios. I normally don't run published material, and when I have in the past, I tried too hard to stick to the script, and it was clunky. 
I'm running the module from the Humblewood box set, and I'm definitely adding my own flair for the NPCs, skipping encounters that seem monotonous, and making sure some encounters happen that are cool. Two examples. In the beginning, I felt like there needed to be a stronger connection to the village and the PCs. They were sort of outsiders and wanted to add hooks to why they would care about the village. Good idea. I have each character receive an item from a villager before they departed. It was a spontaneous decision, and I really liked how it worked out. My favorite one was probably the hand drawing from a child given to a PC of that child's father who may or may not have been captured by bandits. Please, mister. You see that, right? Please, mister, find my daddy. Good Lord, you, should, you care. I mean, that's wonderful. The other example um, was there was this... A uh, cool big toad, but it would only appear if the player characters failed on three deck saves when it was trying to capture frogs for a hedge witch. She's literally a hedgehog and a witch. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a cool encounter because, oh yeah, that's right, it's Humblewood. Humblewood is where everybody's animals. Anyway, carry on. I thought it was a cool encounter because when the giant toad appears, there's a cacophony of frog noises. I want this encounter to happen, and I didn't think it was likely they would fail three deck saves. So I just decided the giant toad would show up once they had filled their bag with frogs. It ended up being a fun encounter because one character was swallowed by the toad. <laughs> Lessons learned for me is I can totally use published stuff, but I need to run it how it makes sense to me. It fits my storytelling. Look forward to the cast. Eric, I love that stuff. What you've laid out there is, hey, this is a really cool encounter. Oh, I hope they get to it. You can make sure they get to it. <laughs> right? That's what he's doing there with that one. And uh, I love the, the connection piece you threw out there too. That's wicked. That's cool. And 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 with that, yeah. So so Matt, Matt H commented back on episode two. Uh, excuse me, three twenty six. I'm uh, reading backwards here. Three twenty six about pre written adventures versus homebrew. He said after listening to you guys, I'm going to paraphrase through this a little bit myself, but it'll be in the show notes. The full description. He said, as a newer GM, I started with the 5th edition starter set, Lost My Fan Delver, which a group uh, played for a couple of sessions before suffering some turnover players, which caused me to switch. So we moved over to uh, some, another pre-made adventure that played Tyranny of Dragons, Tomb of Annihilation. And they says, here's where the crux of it is, it could be because I was new to the hobby when I was attempting to make my own adventures, but I frequently found myself feeling overwhelmed. I'd spend way more time coming up with concepts, working on balance, and wondering if it was good to, is going to be any good. With a pre-written adventure, I find myself way more at ease. I won't feel bad if things don't work out, as I can just blame the adventure rather than myself. And all I need to do is prepare. All I need to do to prepare is read a little bit ahead. However, I'm starting to feel like I'm missing out on some aspects of the game by sticking to the script of a pre-made. Character development feels practically non-existent, and it seems though players have little choice but to follow the path in front of them. So that got us thinking about, you know, there are ways, means, policies, and devices, things you can do to take a to take steps one way or the other, right? So Sean runs a lot of pre-published adventures. I run very few. However, when I've run, I've played with Sean running games, Star Wars and whatnot, and I know he's running a pre-published adventure. It doesn't, I've never felt in one of Sean's games when I've them, um, your mileage may vary. Um, it's never felt to me like I couldn't develop my character or we were stuck or it was the adventure was badly written, you know, or anything like that. We just blame Sean no matter what. Um, <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm getting at is that, Sean, I think you do a very good job or did at least for me at the time. Maybe you've fallen off the wagon. 
Um, but taking that pre-published adventure and modifying it a little bit or tweaking it so that it flows the way you want it to go, right? And even when you and I were talking about how you were going to run Ravenloft, even it let's you know take the, 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 some of the other angst and issues you've talked about around it, but your preparation for it, I'm going to do this. I want to make sure that, yeah, it's not in there, but I want to do this because I can see this adding more. I thought that was pretty cool. So, Sean, when you started, I, let, let me ask you, let me see if I can ask this question right away. I've been thinking about this for a while. Was there a time or a method that you use when you look at a pre-published adventure and say, this is what I'm going to change? Do you read them and think I need to change that right away? Or do you read them and change it as you go? Or is it just a muscle you've developed over years? What do you, how do you do what you do, man? It um, depends. it's it's well it does but and the and the reason it does is because it it's dependent upon what i run and and that means the game and the scenario and if i can do it up front then i will if i think that it's too much of a shoehorn to try to make it uh, or implement it on the upfront, then I'm going to find ways to do it down the road in the sessions or when they get to a particular milestone within the scenario or what have you. One of the things, and I, I don't often consciously do it outright. It's probably, if I do it more and more more intentionally it's been lately it's more recent in the past i've done it when it's like eh i don't really like where this is going i'm just going to throw this at the party and it's going to tie into things that aren't in the scenario necessarily and if it ties to the character backgrounds great or the party decides to go off in a different direction and rather than say oh no no you can't do that. The next encounter is over here. Like you got all these clues that go over here, but you're not going there. So instead of like trying to, again, shoehorn the party going into that direction, I will just kind of go, okay, they go this way. You guys did that to me in the Star Wars game. At one point, I think I had to change something quite dramatically. I'd, I brought in a complete, you guys, I think we're going through a scenario and you didn't get through the entire scenario. He was like, we got this thing, and you took off into yeah, we space. Left. Yeah, we left. You're like, oh, yeah, you the took, fuck took do I off do into space yeah. instead of following this this lead I gave you guys to go to the next encounter. And so I'm like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? So then I just took the next adventure that I thought, well, I'll just have them go do this. But now, because they're in bet- essentially in between these two pre-pubs, I'm not doing a hard cut. And then starting the next session and going, all right, last time we left off, it was the Empire Strikes Back. Luke Skywalker's on a frigate, his hand chopped off, and he has his has Leia next to him and looking across. And then, you know, uh, Han Solo's in Carbonite, and who knows the hell he's going. And then when you pick up in Jedi, they're in Jabba's, you know, Jabba's palace. That's not how I was going to do it. It was it ran all kind of into one. So it, it, I do it in a few different ways is the quick answer. That makes sense. One yeah. of the things that um, 
I have not, I got to say this, I have done, not purposely, but I have done what uh, Ray talked about in the preamble to this when he said, hey, I crushed the map. I have done that. When we're going along and heat of the moment, I'm like, this is taking too fucking long. Or this is just stupid. Or whatever is going on. Sometimes it's a cue from the players, right? That, wow, <clears throat> this seems boring, right? And instead of saying... Um, and so, so Matt, this is not, this is not a knock against you, dude. So please don't take it this way, but it's not, instead of saying, oh, this adventure sucks. It's too bad. It's such a slog. I just cut the slog out. And Matt, it sounds like you've been running enough. If you're here right now, having a cup of coffee or beer with us, I would, I would say the exact same thing to you. You've been doing this enough with these pre-pubs. You probably have a better developed sense of what isn't working for you than you may realize. And I think that's very true for a lot of game masters, even players. We have better developed senses for uh, once you've been doing this for a while. You run two, three um, adventures. You go through a few. You've got a pretty good idea of what works and doesn't work, especially as a game master, I think, if you're paying attention. And sometimes you got to take a step back. And when you're reading it, and you're looking at that module, and Matt reads it and he goes, huh, boy, this seems like it's going to be a slog. That is when you take that moment to do what Ray does and crush the map. I don't want to fuck around with this. Instead of it being a 16 hex crawl, I'm going to make it a 5 hex crawl because it's much faster and it'll get to the cool bit. I know this group. I've been running games for them for a while. If I drag this out, this will be a son of a bitch. is isn't going to work. Right? So case in point, I've been reading through Rhyme of the Frostmaiden while I get ready to run that. So I've been reading it off and on. And there's a couple pieces of it that I'm like, huh, how do I want to start this? It has ideas where I want to start it. I get those ideas, but I have a different idea because I know my players and none of them, except for one of them, really knows the area. I know more about Icewind Dale than anyone in my group. So if I start them in, this, in the town, I don't want to deal with certain things of, well, I've been here for five years. You said I should know this. I, should. I don't want to deal with that. So I'm working out a mechanism to get them on the way into town. They're here for what reason? So I'm, I'm percolating reasons that I know my group will do, right? Co uh, conference. Yeah, hey, conference. conference. Yeah, usually a conference, yeah, usually. Yeah. So one of the things that I think freaks people out, as Matt talked about, going like, oh my God, how do I, uh, this, this pre-pub doesn't have what I want. I want to do my own thing. And then you say, fuck it, I don't like this pre-pub world. Whatever that, whatever that is for you, because I can't get character development or I feel like I'm hacking this thing up so much. Oh my gosh, I want to make my own thing. And it is daunting. It can be very daunting. I've been doing it for a very long time. Sean's been doing it for a long time. We have muscles developed, as we talked about back in the practice episode and subsequent discussions. Some of the shit just takes time. You've got to figure out how you're going to do it. And you've got to build your own adventure from scratch. And then you'll make some stinkers. However, I honestly think, Matt, that if you take a pre-published adventure, and one of the things that made me, I think, a better improvisational build-my-own game master than had I tried to do it all cold turkey, was I would start on an adventure path. I'd be reading something. I actually started with a, a vampire game, believe it or not. When I first started running, I had this adventure, a pre-published adventure. I'm trying to run it. And my character did something crazy, and I supposed to be a one-shot. It turned into a 15-year campaign. 
weird story. But one of the guys, Will, says he's going to do something. And I'm like, that is, that sounds wicked cool. It's nowhere in here. This, you know what would be really cool? The thing that Chris and Kat just said, if that happened right now, that would be so wicked cool. And I said, I'm going to go for broke. I'm going to break this module right now and go wherever the hell I need to go. I'm just going to follow this weird ass wild hair path. I'm going to do it. And I think if you read these pre-published adventures and you start doing things like Ray Otis talked about and saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm looking at this map. It's a great map. It's really cool. But instead of trying to assign every room has two goblins or 1d4 goblins, how many goblins are on the whole fucking cavern system? 50? Good. I got a pool over here of 50 goblins, right? The number 50 down. And goblins will attack the players as they go through in the numbers that I deem necessary. There are five more. Now there's 35 left. You can keep count. Six ran away. This is this. You know what? They've killed enough goblins. They're done. They're ready to be the end. If you've got a list that says there should be 20 goblins left, it doesn't fucking matter. You get rid of them. And you're basically on the fly um, editing a pre-published adventure, which is something that, Sean, you were doing, right? We modified it on you, the Star Wars one. You say, you know what I'm going to do? Instead of a cut and say, nope, this adventure's over. We have to start the next session exactly where the new module starts. You said, no, I'm going to stitch them. I'm going to find a way to tie it together. Now, I can tell you from being on the other side of the screen, I didn't know you did that until you just said that today. Yeah, you know. I'm not kissing your ass either because it was a long time ago. But I honestly don't remember it. That's feeling like, wow, boy, that's this is totally incongruous. There's no connecting tissue here. But I guess when I when I read Matt's piece, Sean, I kept thinking that breaking away from a pre-published adventure is one of the things that is kind of daunting in it is there can be this feeling that if I break it, I, I can't run this adventure anymore. Now it's no longer the adventure, right? I broke it. I changed the map. I changed the NPC. I I told the player characters that red dragon is supposed to be a blue dragon. Now I feel stupid. But I think by taking a pre-published adventure and going through it with your own editorial pen and saying, I don't like this. I'm going to tighten this up. I'm going to change this. I know this group of players. I've been playing with them. I've ran through four different pre-pub adventures with them. I know what they like and what they don't like. You could read an adventure like Ram of the Frostmaiden, like I am right now. I know the group I'm going to run it for, my home group, when I run it for them. I know what I'm going to do for them. I don't know what I'll do when I run it for BSers because I don't know who I'm playing with yet. But anyway, I'm going to beat it up. I'm going to change it, modify it, hack it up, and I want to make it mine. And that's where you can take things, because when Matt's talking about character development seeming non-existent and so on, you could add those character development pieces in, like Eric Salzweedle mentioned, with the uh, with the Hedge Witch. So, Sean, what do you think about that? I'm kind of rambling here, but what do you... Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, Matt, what you got to do is you got to... You got to take what your players are. So there's two two camps. There's those that think that player to de- uh, player character development will come through play, and then there are some that you sit down in session zero and you tie a bunch of loose ends together and you determine their motivation because they have certain backgrounds and they have a reason to be together and they come up with this elaborate. I'm an orphan and grew up on the mean streets of Avalon. Blah 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 blah. And some want to do both. But if you're gonna if you're gonna incorporate if you're gonna hack up a module or scenario to try to have more character development because I feel your pain there isn't really a ton 
other than what they're kind of thrown into and what they do chemistry amongst the player characters they're really it it becomes a relatively shallow uh in my experiences not always it's not for every game and not for every game master but it is pre-published and isn't coming out of your mind and how to leverage your own kind of creativity to convey to the players and the player characters so that's just kind of the deal so so sean i think from a how would i actually tactically do the thing you know, right? You and I just laid out some high-level stuff. How would I, if I were Matt, how the hell would I actually tactically do this? Yeah, he's got a lot of things in motion and a lot to unpack in this in this email slash forum post. Um, it, and you got to bite off little bits and pieces. Like you can't. That's very good. That's good advice. Yep. You know, you say you're overwhelmed. So my question would be, why do you feel overwhelmed? Is it coming up with the ideas, the plot points, the, the the tying the things together. And so you get a pre-published module where all that is done and you can read it, which is great. That's what you're kind of saying is your own solution. Fantastic. So if you take a pre-published adventure and you want to make it more of your own, how can you find ways to do that without having to come up with everything that's in the pre-published adventure, right? Because you're reading that and you're taking what's good out of it and applying it, but you think that the player character pieces are shallow. So, you know, Tomb of Annihilation, you've run. What's the death curse about? Who is it affected? In the module, it's going to say, you're greeted by this woman, and she's going to hire you to go because they know that there's this component called the Soulmonger, and she wants you to find it because she's on her deathbed. Well, who is she to the player characters? So right there, if you wanted to... It doesn't have to be her. It could be anybody you want. So just yank her right out of the module and put in a player character's family. Or a player character. Or a player character, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, that, that person has some... You. They're dying. Yeah. Ronnie the Magnificent, wizard extraordinaire, is dying because of a curse from a demon. Right. And you've been told, after much searching and paying off sages, the only way to do it is the soulmonger thing. Ah, fuck. And, and maybe it's... That person's dying, and so they've done research and found out that it's the soulmonger is the thing that's behind this, and they've they've traced that to the land of Chult somewhere. And the people that are accompanying that player character are the player character. The player characters recruited them specifically, either their personal or professional acquaintances, or they've somehow come together in that regard. And so then you've got that group together. You can even futz around with their backgrounds to figure out how that coalesces and then you go on to the adventure. And then, you know, that's just one example to kick that off. It's a little unique with Tomb of Annihilation because you're you're doing more of a hex crawl exploratory and then you're getting into the tomb. So it's not like there's a lot of social interactions. There are with some NPCs um, and I can get into those with some spoilers, but regardless, then you get into Curse of Strahd which you also, did you mention Curse of Strahd? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Does he not. didn't. Curse of Strahd's another one. That's a that's a more of a sandboxy. I mean, they could go anywhere. You could tie. There's so many more player characters, NPCs in that adventure that you could make any of them anybody's prior contacts. You know, um, you could have relationships build very quickly in Curse of Strahd because you could have, uh, you know, 
an NPC fall in love with a player character or there's some bond there. Another thing that I don't know, I haven't read the other adventures, man, but I, I know in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, it has a flow chart. Basically, it says, look, this thing happens. It goes like this. This is the levels you'll be at here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And these are the main points that are going to happen. If you diverge from anything, you can look back on that flow chart and you can build it out yourself. That's the thing I actually used to do. Uh, White Wolf used to have in their Chicago by night, the city setting. It had these little charts, it had the different pictures of Loden and this guy and Khalid and these these different vampires who hated each other and all this stuff. So I would look at these graphs and these charts. I would fucking forget something. Oh, shit. I made the Nosferatu primogen friends with this other person, and they're supposed to hate each other. Huh. Wait a minute. They secretly hate each other, but they always are nice in public. Aha. Okay, I've got that. I made, I made a note in my little notebook. Like, I fucked this up make a change. So as you modify things, as you add things in, in order to make sure that you can maintain the integrity, because if you're worried about balance and concepts and through lines and all that story talk that can be very difficult to, to sort out or create on your own, if you're stealing what's out there, which is absolutely legit, and you build your own little flowchart, how are they going to get from point A to point B? Well, it went to here, they branched off over here, how are you going to get them back? Type of thing. So... This one, from a tactical perspective, I think some of the easiest stuff to do is hack the dungeons, you know, cut out the monotony. If you've run a couple, you've determined a few things. You're like, wow, that was kind of boring. You can start looking at stuff, reading it, or even as your players are going through it, like, you know what? The next set of double doors opens it to the Orc King stronghold. The next set of double doors leads right to the center of the tomb. I don't have to have the next 15 rooms. It really doesn't matter. Because they found the secret tchotchke, they got the thing, we could get right to the end. I don't need to fuck about, right? <clears throat> cutting cutting dungeons, smashing them tighter, cutting overland, which also, <clears throat> excuse me, goes for overland travel, can streamline some of that stuff. And by doing that, you're moving through repetitive components, as Ray said. If you go through these modules and you start breaking them and hacking them and changing them, you're going to, you're going to get a better feel for how you do it, right? How do I need to do it? What do I like to do? What works well for me and my group? And uh, going back and forth through this, uh, through this world of like, hey, I, I wrote this, uh, my own homebrew thing or a pre-made adventure, you're going to end up at a point where you're using the pre-made adventure just as like this little trick bag that you can pull stuff out of, right? I know we've talked about this before in the past, Matt. I don't know if you were hanging out with us when we did, but I know sometimes I have I have heard about this. I've actually seen it, where some players get pissy that you change the official module. They want to play the official module as the official module is written. I don't understand that. Never have. I never really will. Doesn't it, I don't get it. Um, because everyone who's told me that is like, I want to beat the module. I'm like, okay, that's a weird mentality, but okay, have go go for it. Um, so I, if you have somebody like that in your game group, you might run into some weird flack because you didn't really run Tyranny of Dragons the right way. Why are the players going to be mad? Probably not. <laughs> the players are there to have fun and, and have something that has some cohesion to it. That's, you know, that's that's the, the, the be-all and end-all of it, I, I think. Sean, does this make sense? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think... Uh, hit me up, man. 
Matt, I'll, I'll hook you up. Bounce ideas off me. I'll tell you what what you should do. First of all, you might be replaying the wrong adventures. Honestly, that's that's, that's absolutely possible too. If you've got Cur- a- Curse of Strahd's the best one for for interaction, and you can hack the shit out of it to do it any any way you want. I'd have some pretty strong advice on how you would want to do it, and I would also want to ask you what you mentioned in your in your message that says I'm start. I'm starting to feel like I'm missing out on some aspects of the game by sticking to the script of a pre-made adventure, blah, 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 blah. So my my question to you would be more of a, what do you want to use the pre-published module for? And then what, why aren't you injecting your own stuff? <clears throat> so I think, Matt, some of this to me, hacking, I think this is almost like, you know, it's making a pre-made into a homebrew and we're back again if you want to, but using this, the pre-made kind of as a, as a core, what you're going to bounce off of is totally legit. The hardest part is that either training your mind. So you remember all the changes you made. So you don't get confused yourself um, as you read through or just keep the right type of notes. So when you interject something into the flow of the adventure, you know what you overwrote. So you can make the references going forward. And that, in a pre-published adventure, is easier. If in, every time it says Helga, you change the name to Holith, great. Scratch Helga, write in Holith. There you go. If it's supposed to be Vicky and you actually said um, Vanessa, fine. Everywhere it says Vicky, change the name to Vanessa, you know, or whatever the case is. But you can, you can do that stuff pretty easily. So, Matt, I don't know if that helped, dude. Yeah, Matt, we're here to utterly... In- confuse you (laughs) we're trying we tried to help we're not necessarily the best at it but if other listeners out there have got some other cool ideas like eric and uh and ray had or anything you want to add on to what we have to help out matt or anybody else who's thinking about ways of doing this type of thing and matt man if we completely missed the whole fucking point and this is not at all what you wanted (laughs) let me know (laughs) we'll try it again all right sean shall we yeah let's get in die roll I roll two to four miscellaneous points game of geekery. We want to bring to you. Got one, two, three, four, five this week. First one, Call of Cthulhu is big in Japan. So in case you didn't get the memo and you ever want to go to Japan, place of Call of Cthulhu. I think the numbers in the article are a little wonk, but I don't know. Who's to say? I thought they were pretty slow. Like, like the the second highest RPG played, and there's like 60,000 copies that are sold. 60,000 seems low, but then again, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And next one, what we give to Alien Gods. Kickstarter for Mothership. I got in. I thought it looked cool. It's very Mothership-based. You can play it in any sci-fi horror um, game. I was kind of impressed by it, and so I kicked it in. And uh, fourteen thousand dollars of seven hundred and fifty goal so, so, was raised. So I think they'll be okay. Ends March first, twenty twenty one. Cobalt Press's Vault of Magic. So if you're a big five E fan and a fan of Cobalt Press, then you probably already know about this one. But if not, they have a Kickstarter that ends March seventeenth, twenty twenty one. It's fully funded. And it's all about the magic. It reminds me of the uh, spell compendium, but it's got items in it as well. It's a grimoire of new magic items for 5th edition campaigns. Brings wild surprises to your gaming table. From unknown potions to fabled weapons on armor to everyday magic that could become campaign stable. 
Yeah. Neat. So ch- check that out. Uh, and then the next one is Christopher Gray, an old friend of the show. Uh, Temple in Tombs Kickstarter built for Year Zero engine, which intrigues me because he's a third party. He's not Free League that's doing that. And uh, he's using their parts of their engine. Halfway there, he's at 3900 of 6900 and that ends March 15th. So I have a vested interest in making sure it gets funded because, damn it, I kicked in for that. And Christopher does some good stuff. And he's done multiple Kickstarters. He's delivered. You know, he's not a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants night. Fly-by-night? Fly-by-night kind of operation. So As long as he doesn't fly-by-night with my pants, I'm fine. He does not, <laughs> he does but not. maybe he could use that as a stretch goal. <laughs> he could. Fly by night Christopher, with Christopher, call what? Brett. Fly by night with Brett's pants. And the last but not least, uh, Winter Hat. Our own Winter Hat is available. We have a little beanie hat. So if you're cold, before it gets too warm, you might want to pick one of these bad boys up. It's a, with the GBS logo on it. So that just got approved uh, on our merchandise store. I have one on order. If you want to see what it looks like after I get one, I'll show you before you order one. But I know some people are requesting it, so check that out. So that's all we have for die roll. A lot of Kickstarter action. Um, what are we talking about next week, Brad? I had something, and I can't find my damn notes. Hold on. Let me find it. I know Ray Otis had some suggestions from the forums. Yeah, god damn. I don't know. I've got it out there somewhere. I'll find it, but we'll talk about gaming for sure. We're going to talk about something in gaming, probably role-playing game-based. I'd assume so, yes. Um, we'll see. Probably have like some uh, random encounters. Might do that again. Yeah, we've yeah. Had, yeah, good luck with that. Maybe some die rolls. We'll we, see what we comes might. up yep. in the next week. Main topic or something buried in there. It'll be good. Yeah, it'll all be fine. It'll be good. VC wants Delta Green. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, VC. Delta Green's good. That's the next subject he said. Delta Green. All right. So we, Monday nights, we typically record at 8 p.m. Central Time on Twitch live. You can visit us. Um, otherwise, we'll put this up on YouTube later. Give us a like and subscribe if you see us there. Otherwise, always catch the audio at your favorite podcatcher of choice at Gaming NBS. Just put that in there. It'll pop up. Otherwise, thank you for everybody that's tuned in live. Thanks for everybody that supported us throughout all these episodes. Thank you for listening, being part of the community. You're awesome. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS produced with help from the following BSers. Jared Rasher, Ray Otis, Old School DM, Jason Hobbs, Andy Hall, Roger Braslett, Chris Steele, Larry Hout, Eric Frankhouse, Tony Shuloff, Baker, Mark Tasaka, Pierre Mongo, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Craig Huber, Ron Bishop, Old School Zero, Playing, Jim Fitzpatrick, Mark Richmond, Sky, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jeff Seifert, Angus, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Perry Besor, Eric Avia, Andy Olson, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Jeff Goad, Brian Rumble, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Henry Newcomb, Cole Kago. Damn it, did I say it right this time? Eric Tavola, Huskara, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Jason Weeb, Dollar Adventure Frameworks, Bill McClory, Jay Plata, Duke and Purple, Isaiah Aries Christian, Vanta Black Lord, Larry Hollis, Quigley Malcolm, AWOL Trooper, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Orcus Dorcus, Chris Shore, Michael O'Holland, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Tendrils, Miniature Master, Kevin Keneally! 
Christopher Lang, Chad Gleeman, Josh Wallace, Adam Grochon, Ed Nye, Stefan Dragonspawn, Corey Welch, Merkel Froilich, Rich Wishon, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Ralia. Are you interested in trying new tabletop RPGs but don't get the opportunity? Want to meet some BSers and play a game with them? Perhaps you're a master of a specific RPG and would like others to know how awesome it is. We'll head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash games. That will take you to a place that you can list your game or find that cool game you've always wanted to try. Come on, don't just sit there. Go experience a new game with some great people. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.